Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith Bridge, whether you're here in the live service, in our communion service, or if you're coming to us online. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. We're continuing on in our walk through the book of Acts. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, uh, ushers are coming down the aisle with some. If you don't presently own a Bible, please receive that uh, as our gift to you. Acts chapter 18. While you're turning there, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, about a month or so ago, Pastor Ken and I were having breakfast together, as we do periodically. And in the course of our conversation, the, the preaching schedule for the balance of the year came up. And he said, Dan, I would like for you on Labor Day Sunday to take Acts 18, uh, focusing on Priscilla and Aquila. And outwardly, I said, hey, yeah, great. Hey, man, glad to do it. But on the inside, I'm like, who? Brother, what? Well, no, it wasn't really quite that bad. But if you're not exactly sure who Priscilla and Aquila were, you, you're in good company. I, I doubt many of us could stand up and give uh, a, a clear telling of their story because it's not like they're marquee characters in the New Testament, certainly not like Paul, Peter, and John, and and those guys, nevertheless, as I have studied their lives, it, it has been amazing, really, to see the incredible impact they made in the life of the early church. I don't think, really, there's any way you could overestimate the impact they made. A man and a woman, a husband and a wife, just making choice after choice after choice to live for Jesus and really... Uh, steering the direction of the early church and leading so many people into a deeper relationship with Jesus through their influence. I want us to look at their lives through the prism of their marriage because that, that's how they are primarily presented in the scriptures as, as husband and wife. The story is told through the prism of husband and wife, and as I studied their marriage, it became apparent that they based their marriage, lived out their married life on three priorities, three main priorities, and as we move through the message, we're going to look at each one of these priorities and how those um, decisions shaped who they were and then in due course shaped the church and even shaped the world. I think it's appropriate that from time to time we talk about marriage in the life of the church because uh, newsflash, marriage is hard. Becky and I are uh, recent empty nesters and we are discovering for the umpteenth time that every season of marriage is difficult. It has its own unique challenges. In the early days, of course, when you're first married, it's, it, it's, uh, the challenges are centered around getting to know each other. I mean, you know, everybody marries a stranger. I don't care how long you've dated. Uh, you don't really know somebody until you've entered into those bonds of marriage and lived with them day after day after day with that commitment. And then should the day come that children arrive, a whole new batch of challenges there, helping these little creatures grow up to be responsible contributing adults in our society. It's tough. You know, you got to keep them fed and clothed and housed and hopefully educated and, and, and get to a point where they can step out into society on their own 
and make a contribution. And then should you survive that? Empty nesting. Now, on the one hand, it's great. Really, there are some definite upsides to empty nesting. Time, my goodness, I never knew we had so much time. Don't know what we did with all of it on our hands. And your money is actually your money. <laughs> and your food is actually your food. I can't tell you the number of times I've bought something at HEB and thought, I'm going to enjoy this all week only to open the fridge. Gone. Gone, gone. So yeah, it's definitely got some upsides, but it also has its challenges. Because in many respects, it's like starting over. I mean, here for 20 plus years, you've related to this person primarily as co-parent. But now, spouse, individual, husband, wife. And in those 20-some years, presumably each of you have grown and changed. You're not the same persons that you were back when it was just the two of you to begin with. And so, yeah, there are some new things to learn. You've got to learn how to dance together once again. In each and every season, marriage has its challenges. That's why I'm so glad to be able to talk about Priscilla and Aquila this morning. Because you see, in them, we have an example of a husband and wife who had shared values, shared goals. They were on mission together, honoring Jesus and living for him together. And we need examples like that today because, you know, the world around us is not promoting marriage. Marriage is failing pretty consistently around 48, 49, 50 percent. Even our society you know, is beginning to uh, make the whole institution of marriage almost an untenable thing. It's, it's coming under attack from our very culture, from our very society. And so we need role models like Priscilla and Aquila to help us think about, okay, what is this marriage thing really all about? And what, in broad strokes, what should our marriage look like as followers of Jesus Christ? To guide our thinking, as I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Eighteen one. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Skipping then down to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. 
After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And then just two verses from Romans 16. Paul has written this letter to the Christians in Rome, and he closes the letter with these words, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. When I read their story, what jumps out at me is that first and foremost, Priscilla and Aquila prioritized their relationship with Jesus and spreading the message of the gospel. That really was the number one priority in their life. I mean, we're not told a whole lot about them, but the things that we are told clearly indicate their love and their passion for Jesus and for getting the gospel message out into a broken world. Just a handful of things make that so clear. For one thing, they, they hosted, they housed, they fed, they provided a job for the Apostle Paul, the preeminent evangelist of the day. They became missionaries themselves and would eventually travel to four different countries sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they encountered a young promising evangelist by the name of Apollos, who showed a lot of potential but still needed a little more discipling, a little more training, they stepped forward, took him under their wing and began to disciple, mentor and grow him. And then, of course, as Paul indicates in the book of Romans, they even went so far as to risk their lives for the gospel. We're not told how or what the circumstances were. In another translation, Paul says they risked their necks for the gospel. And both I and all of the Gentile churches in this region are so grateful to them. The first priority in their life together as a couple was their relationship with Jesus and sharing the gospel message. It's interesting to me that this priority is revealed not through anything that they said or wrote. We have absolutely no record of anything that they said or wrote. Rather, we gain this knowledge by examining the kind of life that they lived, the choices that they made, the decisions they made. Day in, day out, as a man and a woman, as a husband and wife together, they made clear through their choices, this is our priority. Jesus is our Lord. And we are going to live our lives in such a way that it demonstrates to the world He is our priority. Now, I'm convinced that the way the church has moved forward through the centuries, for 2,000 years now, its momentum has not been gained primarily from eloquent speakers 
or from great writers or even great leaders, as important as those persons are. No, the, the church has moved forward decade after decade, century after century, because behind the scenes, men and women, husbands and wives, Choose to make daily decisions to live for Jesus. That's how the church has survived and thrived. And that's how the church continues to survive and thrive. I doubt very few of you will stand in this place, this stage or any other, and proclaim the gospel message. That's probably not your calling but nevertheless, you have opportunity to be tremendous influence in the world for Jesus and for the gospel simply by the way you live and by the choices you make and the priorities in your life. Uh, I, I saw this revealed um, most carefully to me through these two characters right here. Uh, that's my mom and dad, Fred and Ruth. They um, were married for 73 years up until last May when my mom went to be with the Lord. And then two weeks ago today, my dad joined her in heaven. And I saw in them a behind-the-scenes couple. Believe you me, they were not center stage people at all. Blue collar, behind the scenes, just good old salt of the earth, hardworking kind of folks. But I saw in them choices day after day after day for Jesus and for the gospel that made a difference in the world. Now, I don't mean to communicate. that They would be mortified, in fact, if I were to try to intimate to you that their marriage was perfect and that they had no problems and challenges. Sure, they were like every other couple. They had their squabbles along the way. They had their challenges. You can see there. <laughs> squaring off against each other. No, they weren't perfect. No marriage is. But in their way, they made those kinds of decisions and set those priorities that enabled them to influence the world for Jesus. The year was 1963, and the place was Atlanta, Georgia. Not a time or a place renowned for being enlightened with regard to racial matters, racial prejudice, civil rights, this was the deep south in the early 60s. And one day, my older brother, who was in the seventh grade at the time, brought home an assignment. It was an essay, an essay contest, actually, that was being sponsored by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. And these ladies had provided some guidelines for these children as to how they were to write their essays and how they would be uh, graded and evaluated regarding their essays. And when my mom read those guidelines, uh, it's no exaggeration to say she was outraged. She was incensed. She was so angry that in a very out-of-character sort of way, she sat down and she wrote a letter to the editor of our local newspaper expressing her anger and her shame that 100 years after the Civil War, 
Seventh grade children were being indoctrinated in hate and racism and a complete lack of love for their fellow human being. Well, apparently someone from the local TV station, Channel 2, WSB-TV, read that letter and they called and invited her to come and read it live on the air during the editorial portion of the news. And my mom accepted. She went down there and read it. My mom was not a daughter of the Confederacy, but she was a daughter of the South. Uh, her grandfather had fought in the Confederacy during the Civil War. But she wasn't about to let her culture determine her priorities. And she spoke out clearly. Well, those of you that were alive back then know that in 1963, everybody's name was in the phone book. If you don't know what a phone book is, <laughs> ask your folks or your grandparents. Depending on where you lived, it could either be this thick or this thick. We had a pretty fat one in Atlanta. And my mom said the phone began to ring off the hook. You traitor. How could you turn your back? Your grandfather must be spinning in his grave. How dare you distance yourself from your heritage? It rang and rang and rang and finally took it off the hook and put it under a pillow. That's the 1963 version of silencing your phone. <laughs> My mom had different priorities than most of the people who lived in Atlanta, Georgia at that time. You see, for my mom, the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ was infinitely more important than the Confederate States of America and the hatred that it promulgated. And no, she did not risk her life. She didn't risk her neck as Priscilla and Aquila did, but it wasn't a popular thing to do. And my dad was so proud of her. You see, back in those days, women weren't in the driver's seat either, but my dad stood behind her 100% supporting her in taking this stand. That's how the world changes. When men and women, husbands and wives, make simple decisions day after day to live for the gospel, to prioritize their relationship with Jesus, that's how the gospel makes a difference. Not through shouting, not through screaming, Dare I say it, not even much through sermons, but no, through folks who live their lives fearlessly, lovingly representing Jesus and the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila prioritized their relationship with Jesus and the gospel message. And secondly, they prioritized their relationship with one another as husband and wife. 
there must have been an amazing bond that kept these two together because the record shows they faced more than their share of challenges. To begin with, I don't imagine it was a whole lot of fun doing manual labor, tent makers, day after day after day, and seeing a good portion of your pay not go to retirement, not go to a nest egg, not go to a lake house, but to support this guy named Paul who's running around the Mediterranean telling people about Jesus. I can just see me coming home and saying to Becky, hey, we're going to go dig ditches, and most of the money we make, we're going to give to this guy who talks about Jesus. Probably wouldn't go over so well. But they did it. They became missionaries themselves and packed up and moved four times, not just down the street, not to the next state, but to the next country where they had to find a whole new place to live and make new friends, find jobs, get settled in. Now, I don't know about you, but hands down, I mean hands down, the most stressful times in our marriage have been the times that we have moved. I'm not looking forward to the next one whenever that is. A matter of fact, I'm just a little bit terrified of it. Yeah, one of us, I won't name who, is just a little persnickety about our stuff. It's hard. It creates stresses and strains all its own on a married life. But yet they did so. And because their bond was strong, it must have been strong. They stayed together through those moves. And they grew as witnesses to the gospel. And then, of course, there's that little incident Paul mentions in Romans where they risked their lives for Jesus. Risk their lives. That's a tall order to ask of a spouse, honey. Will you come die with me for this cause? They must have had a great love. Because Paul doesn't say Aquila risked his life or Priscilla risked her life. No. They risked their lives. And you know, as a, just as a side note, I found it interesting that their names are always mentioned together. You never hear, just hear about Aquila or Priscilla. It's always, every mention of them throughout the New Testament, four different occasions, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. They were a team. They were recognized as a team and they worked together as a team. There was love there because they prioritized one another. Throughout my lifetime, I observed my parents prioritizing each other and living in such a way that they communicated to each other, you are the most important person in the world to me. My mom was a very typical 1940s, 1950s housewife. They were married in 1949. And it was not an uncommon event at our home. If we were sitting around watching TV or playing a board game or whatever, for my dad to look up and say, Rupee, her name was Ruth, he called her Rupee. He'd say, Rupee, how about a cup of coffee? Up she'd go, get that coffee, bring it back. How about a piece of pie? 
I remember the first time my wife Becky observed this dynamic. <laughs> and from across the room, she mouthed the words to me, don't even think about it. <laughs> she, she did wait on him hand and foot. And one day, this is well into their 90s, I mean. So one day I asked her, Mama, why, why do you do that? Why, why have you waited on him hand and foot? He's perfectly capable of getting his own whatever. And without batting an eye, she said, your father has looked after me and loved me my whole life. I can get him a cup of coffee. She communicated to him, I love you. And it wasn't just one way. My dad communicated the same, sometimes in ways we could not see at home. When I was in the ninth grade, my father was a, a production foreman in a large factory outside of Atlanta. And one day, uh, a new superintendent was hired to run the plant. And so he called all of the foremen, there were a half a dozen or so, into his office and he said, gentlemen, uh, we're going to do things a little differently. From here on out, we're going to have uh, two or three after-hours meetings that you'll be expected to attend. They won't be here on the premises. Rather, they're going to be down the road at such and such a place, which was an institution that served drinks and provided other kinds of entertainment for their male patrons. Well, about two weeks went by and my dad got called down to the superintendent's office and he said, Fred, I see that you have not made any of our meetings. And my father said, no, sir. He said, what's the problem? He said, it's where you're having your meetings, and as long as you're having them there, I'm not coming. At the end of the workday, I'm going home to my wife because I don't care anything about what's happening in places like that. Well, another couple of weeks went by, and he got called back down, and the superintendent said, Fred, you've got a choice. You can either start coming to these meetings, or you can find someplace else to work. My dad had worked for that company for almost 30 years, but it did not take him 30 seconds to make up his mind, turn around and walk out of that place and never look back. Why? Because my mom was his priority. Priscilla and Aquila, first of all, prioritized Jesus. Secondly, they prioritized each other. About six or seven months ago, just a few months before my mom died, I was home. And I got up one morning and I, I walked into the kitchen. They were already there. Uh, they were looking out the kitchen window. And my dad was holding my mom. And I sat there uh, intentionally eavesdropping. And my dad said to my mom, I could stand here and kiss your pretty face all day. How do you love somebody like that after 73 years? Well, I guess first you have to live to be 97. <laughs> but you make it a priority. 
that's what you do. You decide that jobs and inconvenience aren't the most important things in the world. It's one another that counts. The third big priority I see in Priscilla and Aquila is the uh, prioritizing of other people. They loved God, they loved one another, and they served other people. And I don't have to repeat to you the record. Yeah, hosting churches in their homes, serving as missionaries, risking their lives. They obviously loved others. What else could motivate them to do this? My mom and dad had a a soft place in their heart for widows. And uh, I I remember many times, in fact, it's hard for me to remember a time my parents were not engaged in serving others of some kind. My dad would go and, and do repair work that these ladies could not do for themselves. My mom would prepare meals and clean the house for them. And of course, Daddy had absolutely no hesitancy whatsoever to volunteer me and my brothers to cut the grass, rake the leaves, clean the gutters. Six or seven years ago, when they were in their early 90s, uh, Becky called one day just to see how they were doing and asked my dad, what what are you up to? And uh, he said, well, we're, we're getting ready for Meals on Wheels. And she said, well, Granddaddy? If you needed some meals, why why didn't you just call? He said, no, no, they're not for us. We're delivering them. She said, to who? He said, to the old people. (laughs) One of the things that I've especially appreciated, I guess, about my mom and dad's service was they, they, they were never a part of a, of a big church that just kind of put serve opportunities out there on a platter. They, they had to go look for them. They were outwardly focused people. One of the things I love about this particular big church, Faith Bridge, is that it is an outwardly focused church. And there an abundance of opportunities to serve out there, of which we are all made aware on a regular basis. And I would say to you, if you consider yourself a faith bridger, if you're a regular around here and you are not serving, shame on you. Shame on you. You have absolutely no excuse. Because Jesus was clear in the Gospel of Matthew that a defining mark of his followers would be individuals who serve the least of these, the naked, the hungry, the poor, the imprisoned. And conversely, a defining mark of those who were not his followers would be a refusal to serve the least of these. We're not gathering here just for fun. I'm glad that fun is a component And I'm glad that fun is a part of our lives. But at the end of the day, we are here for the people who aren't here. And we are here to love people that the world says are unlovable. 
and to serve people to whom the world says, you're not worth my time. Yeah, I'm thankful for Priscilla and Aquila. I'm thankful to have been blessed to grow up in the home that I did. That there are men and women in this world and in the church of Jesus Christ who have prioritized their relationship with him, their relationship with one another, and their desire to serve. It wasn't original with Priscilla and Aquila, though. Not at all. You see, their example was the Lord Jesus. Jesus' number one priority was the Father. On several occasions, he made clear he lived for the Father, to obey the Father, to serve the Father. His second priority was his bride, the church, the body of Christ. And through his death, he demonstrated that thirdly, his priority was the world to serve and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Provide us with forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. Today we're going to gather at the Lord's table. And among many other things, I believe that our coming to this table is an opportunity for us to reflect on how we've been living and think about how we could be living. And I would challenge you as you come to the table today to examine yourself in the light of these three priorities. Your love of God, your love of your spouse if you have one, and your love of other people. And let the example of Jesus Christ inform who you are. Here at Faithbridge, we have what we call an open table. That is to say, anyone who has a relationship with Jesus or would like to have one with him is welcome to come. In just a few moments here in the live service, the ushers will guide us forward. We'll take a piece of the cracker and dip it in the cup and then partake. For those of us in the communion service, uh, Anna will release you momentarily. On the last night of his earthly life, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he took a piece of bread and he broke it in front of them and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, for your redemption. And then he took a cup of wine and he held it before them and he said, this represents my blood which is going to be spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you have loved us and that you have extended your mercy and your grace and your salvation to us. We come before you humbly now asking you, O oh God, to change us, to give us priorities that are in line with your word, with people like Priscilla and Aquila, to love you first and foremost. To love the spouses that you have given to us. 
and to love a broken and a dying world that desperately needs you. Won't you give us that grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.